Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Contingent Workforce Radio brought to you by Utmost. Utmost gives you full visibility over your extended workforce and integrates natively with Workday, giving you a single front door to manage every category of external worker, a place to source, engage, and optimize spend. And today, we're talking about how to start, where to start, the third part in our series of the Beginning Your Contingent Workforce program. Here, as always, with Erica Novak, and we're going to be focusing in on continuing in on some of the early stage projects that you can get again within your organization. Just to remind everyone, the first podcast in the series was talking about some of the key principles involved. And Erica, they were, your program has to be for this company. Your success is your manager's success. Construct with a realistic mindset. Uncover your current state of your current program. And Erica, please share the last one. Relationships matter. Yeah, that would be the like if you had in your own individual podcast that was just about your life, I think that would be its title. That's not a bad way to go. Like if you think people say, what what do you want on your tombstone? Relationships matter. That's not too bad. I'll take it. That's true. That is a nice thing to say. But today, we'll end just to review some of the previous projects that we covered. Last time was about process mapping, finding and covering your system architecture, getting your data all collected, auditing your 1099s, building your support model out, alignment and communication between different departments within your organization, such as HR, procurement, and finance. But this third session will be a continuation of another few projects that we can begin in your early stages of your program when you begin moving on with a new organization or just if you're in the early stages. Erica, should we just go ahead and dive in? Always. Always. All right. Where to begin? So yeah, the last time that we did this, we talked about really current state objectives. Now, process mapping, gap analysis, system and architecture, data collection, support model, alignment. And these projects will fall right in line with that. So while this is kind of a, a, the third part of the series, what people think it's at the moment, we're still in early stage. We haven't gotten to the intermediate projects. We haven't gotten to the more mature projects. So we're still just kind of laying the foundation. But jumping into the next project, I'm going to start with identifying and broadcasting yourself as the main POC. One of the things that I see contingent workforce programs do poorly or not prioritize is really kind of grabbing their their position, their role, and their leadership at an early stage, right? You want people to know who you are, what your role is, why you're here, and how to find you. And when I talk about you, I want to say specifically you, not necessarily the team, if you have an MSP or not or whatnot, but it's you as the leader. Right, You want to start setting the stage for what governance looks like and when to bring you in. Now, again, this will always be a little bit different if you're a team of one versus many versus a, an external uh, outsourced team or so. So it'll depend on what that is, but really what your role is to be. And so sometimes it is tactical and strategic, but you want to set that strategic lens as early as possible. You want people to, to know when to bring you in. You want to invite yourself to other people's meetings. I used to, and again, this is pre-COVID, but one of the things I used to do was walk the halls. I knew where finance and legal and procurement and my business and my IT team sat. And so before it was very much about making myself physically known, right? Because sometimes you just come to people's minds. Oh, should I be bringing in Erica for X, Y, and Z? So that physical, having that physical uh, ability was really helpful. Now with COVID, it's not always going to be the case and that's okay. And this is where, again, I push upon people for having those Zoom meetings and really making yourself 
as part of their regular, at least weekly life for whatever reason. Sometimes that can be done via Zoom and meetings and other times it's done via an email. Make sure you have an email that is called out directly to them, whether it's personal or business or so, but that way you're always in their consciousness of mind. But it's really important to your program and to your career. It is very easy for contingent programs to be seen as tactical, unless as a leader, you arm it and you create the boundaries and you insist to be included in some leadership meetings or so. But that's going to help you when you think as you're learning to, to grow and to scale is to really establish yourself. Put yourself in HRBP meetings. Put yourself in meetings with strategic sourcing. Like there's ways you can do it. Most folks are, most folks don't know who should be in a meeting. Most folks say, oh, they want to be included. That sounds right. Especially when they don't know who you are for the first time. And this is where you're able to, got to take the the reins or the bull by the horn, you would say, is if you've never met someone, there is a way that you can do it where they don't really know should you, should you not, but they don't want to be impolite. So the first answer is, okay, sure, you can join this meeting. And that's where if you're thoughtfully preparing of how to attend a meeting, what do you say? What do you share? How do you help understand what the perception of you is and your place in the team? You can do a really good job. If you're already well-known, you're already considered tactical, sometimes they say, no, 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 you're not needing this meeting or so. So again, just be aware of what you can do and not do. But I say broadcast who you are as the leader. And that's going to change how people perceive what you're actually accomplishing. The second part, and you tease me, but it is important. The second part to that really is about that relationship building, right? I'm always going to go back to that. And it's such a thing. I think people, people take care of this as like, oh, of course, of course it is. But I want this team to be strategic and thinking about it, right? It's really important. And maybe let me do an analogy on this is think about your neighbors around you with COVID. When you think about the relationships that you have with acquaintances, you know, like, who do you grumble at? Like, rah, they always leave their newspapers out, you know, like they never pick up their mail, right? Who do you actually wave to at the driveway? Hey, nice to see you. Oh, you're at their home picking up their kids. Wave nicety. Right. And then who are the ones who you pick up their mail or you water their plants or you let them feed your dog with you're gone? Right. So there's kind of three layers of acquaintances and relationships. And you want to get to that third because a lot of these things within contingent, you're relying on influencing and having other teams help you on projects that they do not have to. Right. A lot of it comes down to I'm going to pick up the mail for Erica because she's done this for me or because I just like her. Or I believe in her cause. So even if it's outside my project scope, I think that's good for the overall business. And I want to help her be successful because I own the system, the data, the rules, the whatever it is or so. And so I think that's really important for you to think about. Like what what type of neighbor are you to your different stakeholders and vice versa? And this is when it there's a little bit of nerd work that comes into it. But I used to build my own org chart. And it wasn't an org chart within HR. It was my stakeholder org chart. It was an ever-growing list of partners that I wanted to stay in touch or in tune with or who got promoted, who was moving, what's going on. I think when I when I talk to other folks who say, oh, yeah, I've done this, and I say, fantastic, like, so who are you talking to? And it's one person in each group. And there are some greatness of that because you can you can dive, you can, you, can, you can develop that relationship very deeply. But what if that person leaves? What if that person is promoted? right? Then you're starting from scratch with a complete team who doesn't know you. So spread that out. So be really thoughtful and method and think through how do you actually and like kind of spread your, your vines into the different groups 
And I highly recommend scheduling at least two to three chats a week with cross-functional partners to build the rapport. Some of it can be done, right? As you, as you get deeper, it can be a, hey, let's just blow off work for a second. 15 minutes, what's going on with your world? How's distance living do with your kids? And some people are open to that, right? Man, I, thanks for asking. I appreciate that we're not talking about work, but you're asking about me. Others don't and say, you're wasting my time. I'm on 14 hours of meeting. What do you need? And there's a way that you can do where you, you talk about what you're doing, but you really, it's, it becomes information gathering for you. So you're going to ask them about them. Hey, I've heard about this project you're working on. Help me understand it. I heard that it's really providing a lot of impact and I want to understand it better what you're doing. The nice thing with that is that you're giving them a chance, uh, them a chance to shine and they're sharing information with you. And usually you can start to connect the dots between what's going on in finance, procurement, and legal. And you start to understand the undertones of how different people are thinking about different projects. Sometimes it'll be really related to contingent, sometimes not, and that's okay. The goal is you're listening to them. You're validating who they are. They find that you're you're interested in what's going on. So you're a sympathetic ear. You hear what's going on. You know those same people. But you're, you've structured the agenda where it's not just a, hey, how's it going? It can very, very clear. And you say, fantastic. Now I understand that at this moment, contingents doesn't need to be part of this, but can we do this every month or so so I can be aware as it's growing if that changes? Typically, people say yes. Again, rely on the fact that people are typically too polite to say no if you're asking them. So do that and be thoughtful of putting on your calendar, holding on to it. You can do 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20, 30-minute segments, but do this every single week. It is absolutely worth so you're keeping in mind What's going around the business that you may not see, especially with COVID where we're not, we're not around the, the water cooler anymore. And I push you guys, I'm going to name a bunch of different stakeholders right now, right? To, to think through who are those key partners. So within HR, it doesn't matter if you're an HR procurement, or HR, the operations team, HRBPs, HRIT, L&D, recruiters or talent acquisition, the people analytics team. Procurements, operations, contract management, category management, strategic sourcing, and any outsourced partner function. Legal, I would focus on employment counsel as well as head of compliance. Finance, you have your FP&A team, AP and AR, tax, P2P. Internal audit, whoever's responsible for SOX. Huge, anyone responsible for any internal audit. Believe me, internal audit is one level down from contingent. We think that we're not 60. Internal audit is very aware that they are not a sexy group. And so any interest in that? goes a long way. Ha, huh, fantastic. We're both around this compliance and helping, you know, create control and gatekeeping. The IT team, you want to make sure you're talking to people who are responsible for hardware, software, network, IDM, facilities, people who are in space planning, a large outsourcing users, security, you want to talk about to the badging. And then last but not least, I think is a group that folks typically say, oh, I don't need to, or if I open this door, it takes up too much time, or the MSP can do it. And that's your suppliers. The suppliers often know more about what's going on in the program and the business than you do because they are talking to the managers. Regardless of whether you have a zero communication policy, guys, they are. So have them talk to you. They're happy to share. They think it's going to build a relationship. Do not forget about them. And it shouldn't just be staffing. Your outsourced partners are, it's a massive spend, massive headcount volume. Include them. Talk to your consulting partners. Understand what's going on with Deloitte versus PwC. Again, this takes a lot of time, but if you chunk it out two to three, you know, every week or so, the amount of intel and information you have about how your company is actually working and how contingent can actually play a part to help innovate, to help create efficiencies, to help scale, 
people are going to come to start coming to you with ideas and projects. And so again, this relationship building really is a, is a methodology of how you understand how you can c- continue to be like the nucleus that pulls everyone together to speak to each other. Let me pause there for Saad to berate me on relationships matter before I move on to the next. No, this is, it's very in-depth. I actually had a question that since there's so many different stakeholders involved, how do you recommend people keep track of those relationships? It's almost like you need your own internal, for those of you familiar, you know, like a Salesforce, like your own internal CRM of just, you know, what does everyone need? What's all the intel? Or, you know, you have your organic organizational chart that you mentioned. I think those are really interesting that many people wouldn't think about when it comes to internal stakeholder management. But yeah, what are some of the best ways to you know, organize that? Easy. I would say that the very easiest and cheapest that everyone's going to have is Excel or Google Sheets. You have one or the other, right? You make a list, do it by, do it by function, call it out by job title, and then how many times have you talked to them when? right? It's a really easy thing to kind of keep up to date. The other thing that I do is on my calendar. I have a color that I have for cross-functional meetings that are just for this. And so if you don't have Excel spreadsheet, or if you're terrible at it, you can go back and say, oh, this is making this up. This was a pink meeting. So I know it was a stakeholder. Who was that? Go back. Okay. That was procurement. How many times or whatnot. But I mean, the Excel spreadsheet is the easiest way to track put the date in. So now, you know, it's been three months since I talked to Christina from AP. Let's do another one. Or, oh, I just talked to this person, you know, last week. So sometimes when you're connecting the dots, you speak to one person from procurement one week. And then as you're trying to get deeper, you say, maybe I speak to the other person. And when you're listening to them, you put together what you heard or whatnot. So there's different strategies to do it, but you don't have to overthink it, right? It has to be very easy, but you do have to do it. And that keeps you in line and in tune with other priorities of the entire organization, business initiatives, what the business is doing. So you're not just in your own little world trying to stand up a technology or, you know, staffing an agreement and that becomes your focus. It's not, it's, it's bigger than you. Yeah. I like that because it allows you to get more than just like, I think you could become satisfied with saying, I, ju- I talked to the procurement person, the head of procurement or something like that. But there's so many different layers and facets within procurement or within finance, just getting that full picture of what the organization is and their impact. And then the, you know, getting 15 minutes on there is a good way to start and make sure that you're being proactive rather than just reacting and then getting caught, caught off guard. Or as you mentioned, if you need to have a technology rollout, but you don't have the <laughs> willpower from other organizations, it ends up being an obstacle for you in the future. Yeah. I mean, and I think knowing their personality type helps you as well, right? So at LinkedIn, there's a couple of different ways that were kind of personality testers, right? Red, yellow, green, blue meant something different. They went through a, a company called Insights that talked about folks who are examine, explore, execute, excite, different method, like what, what, are they, what are they excited about? And so just even knowing right? Who's someone who enjoys talking with people versus someone who wants to get the hell out of the meeting? Structure your meeting that way, right? It's about, again, it's about them. So if you know this person is always time crunched, cares about the data, right? Ask a lot of questions and kind of be brief, be bright, be gone. Make it very structured. Here's what I want to talk to you. I have a question. These are my three questions about this project. If they have a pre-read, great. Then say, fantastic. Thanks so much. I now know what I do. I'd love to follow up you within 30 days. Is that okay? The answer is yes. See you later, Rob. Right? 
And then there's, I'm making this up. This is like a very stereotypical name. Then there's Connie, right? Who wants to talk. Fantastic. Then it's a lot more natural, right? It's much more friendly. It's less give me, give me, give me. And it's, we'll get there, right? But it's almost like interviewing. You model their behavior and their relationship and they will respect you and treat you in kind, right? If you want someone to enjoy working with you, you typically work with them in, in their manner. And let's say, this has been fantastic. This is so easy versus, oh, they're always so fast. I want to move a little slower or vice versa. Or, don't talk to me about your dog. I want to know what the data is, right? Don't talk to me about data. I want to know about your dog. That matters. And you won't always have that information up front, but you can do some guessing. And typically, someone that you know knows that person and can give you some insight. But generally, you can you can guess. And let's be honest. What do you think the difference between HR and finance are? You can do some stereotyping. That's okay. And then when you actually meet the person, you read their body language. How do they, how do they answer the call? Do they put their video on? There's very different ways that you can build a rapport and relationship if you're thoughtful about it. But you got to think about it. Can't just be treat everyone the same push it through or not do it. Yeah, that's great. I like the idea of a data or a dog person and then mirroring <laughs> afterwards. Data or dog. Future book title. Uh, <laughs> but let's move on. Let's move on to the next project that you recommend or another project that you think could be a project that early stage programs could get started on. Yep. So I won't spend too much time on this because we did do a separate podcast on it, but it was really about defining the CW classifications. Not all programs have it. Where they have it, but it's organic, but not actually structured. So again, I won't hit too much into it, but a couple of things to think about is, you know, is it simple? Some companies start simple. You're an employee or you're not. And that's all they care about, right? Some will say, all right, it's more, it's more nuanced than that. Are you an individual or from a vendor? And how is that broken down? And some folks classify it by provisioning. Do you have this access or not? Do you need it or not? And so being thoughtful of what your classification strategy is, because there's no one way to do this. You can be very thoughtful of like the category type and subtypes. But my run, one recommendation that I do hit in the other podcast is it should be organic to your company. Don't take someone else's classifications from another company and try to install it into yours. Listen to how your managers talk about it. Listen to the language. Now, typically you hear consultants and contractors intermingled and that's okay, right? Can you can start to diverge and tweeze them out. But I'm making this up. If you come from a company that calls everyone a temporary worker, and then you come into a company and no one says that they all say contractor switch, make it not a fight, make it something that makes sense. And then you can figure out what are the employment rules? What are the operational guidelines? What are the country considerations versus the global view that you need to have when you think about how you actually define your contingent? So again, separate podcast, but that is a project that's worthwhile because it's an it can be an ongoing one, but these actually set you up for some of the conversations that you have later. Nice. I think we can move forward with the next one. Next one, same thing. We already did a podcast, but it's about the policies, right? And so a couple of the things that I talk about is understanding where you are and what you're after. Right. So you and I, I say this quite a bit. This would be a talent enablement program with compliance, not a compliance program that may let you get something done. Right. So I think a lot of people looking to make impact will start and say, great, let's implement 27 policies that are way overblown, maybe not necessary for what's going on. So be really clear, like what you're actually after. Right. And, and, and it can it gets to change. Right, your policies don't have to be a one and done. It should be move, like living and breathing as your company moves, 
scales to different countries or whatnot. But the, at the simplistic level, you say, are we following the law or not? My policies are actually the law. Let's just make sure we're not breaking it. And then it becomes about compliance. And then it becomes more about operational guidelines. Here's what we're recommending, encouraging you to do for this reason, right? But don't become the police. I think that's really huge when you're thinking about what you're doing because people run from the police and people don't want to share information about what's real when they think that you're just going to tell them no or say you can't. And the last point I think is important is don't create what you can't enforce. I think it's really easy to say, this is how it's supposed to be done when maybe your system architecture and your guidelines actually don't enable you to have the visibility or understand what's actually going on. Be really thoughtful, right? I want to have policies around things that I understand what's happening today and I'm trying to make a change or I need to be able to see it. But if you can't see it, why are you trying to pretend that you have any type of validity of, 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 of telling people no? Because you actually can't tell what's no. And if you have a policy that people can consistently break, what you'll end up hearing is, well, we've done this before. Well, that's how I did it before. That's how this guy did it. And it's a never-ending talk track of we've always done this, even though it's a policy. So shouldn't your policy change versus what we're doing? Just be thoughtful. Again, it comes down to being very strategic, knowing that this can scale and grow, knowing that you need to have some foundation, foundations behind it before, before you really put down the hammer of what you're attempting to do. I'm not going to dive too deep into these ones because we did cover these in previous podcasts. If you want to look back at them, they should be available in September, October. You can listen to the additional ones on coming up with classifications for your workforce, as well as coming up with the right policies. Let's move on to some of the more newer ones that are also core early stage projects, Erica. All right. So the next one becomes about creating operational guidelines. So most new programs, not a lot of stuff is written down or it's outdated, or it's only one area. And so one of the things that I talk about, just building simple use cases when you know like this is this is typically how people are trying to use or engage the program or engage with talent. And so calling out what the use cases are for managers, how does an HRBP and finance play into this? How do suppliers play into this? And how do workers play into this, right? So kind of building for four different views and lenses and not focusing on just on the how, and now I'm calling it the how and now, but the why and forward, right? So here's how you actually operate this today versus here's why we want to do it this way and what we're trying to do in the future, right? So think about operational guidelines in a couple of different lenses. Now, again, it takes thought. Last, you know, last week we interviewed Chris Robinson on the Fireside Chat about training and what she was doing. It's very much about on-demand, quick, and it was much more about classifications and the why and then how to use the tool. And that's fantastic. When you think about how you're trying to educate folks, right? When you explain why this is against the law, this makes us be charged 300% more. This takes the contracting process six months versus one week. Then they say, ah, I do want to follow that versus they just told me I had to, but I think I know better, right? So putting yourself in the, their shoes of like, ah, what's the procurement policy? Why do I have to do this? And you kind of fight it versus, oh, I understand. Okay, this makes sense. And so I think focusing on that and recognizing how you can call out global, regional, country, business unit, entity, role type, what are the differences? Maybe you do something different for IT than you do for corporate. Maybe you do something different from Singapore than you do in Brazil. Maybe it matters if you're a people manager or an individual contributor. But calling out that there are some nuances, right? There typically isn't just one shade that works for everybody. And being thoughtful of like who your user is. So 
Again, this is something that typically sometimes you see with consulting or an MSP or so, but having this starter pack, is it a, is it a wiki? Is it something to get started where you can push people back to say it's documented here versus having to write the same email again, attend the same meeting again, something that you can link back to it to save you some time and efficiency. But honestly, as we move forward to more mature projects, it becomes the roles and responsibilities and assumptions you have with the different players in your workflows that now you've started to call out to say, is this actually right? Should this change? How, how does this work? So doing this actually helps you out in the later in the later projects. And so these would be uh, the u- user facing, like a manager would actually consume it, or is it more for your own operational guideline building just so you know, or you are creating the principles of how it would work? For this project, I would say this is external facing. Right. I want to be able to send this to a manager. And again, preferably in a link or you're copying and pasting something that's really clear and concise. That's it. The goal is to know like what is happening? How what do you want it to happen? And then how do you actually create efficiency knowing that you're getting asked a lot of these questions over and over again? Got it. And in terms of where to start, you know, probably don't want to just go all the way and cover every single unique use case possible out of the out of the run, but there's probably a f- few core ones that you'd recommend just starting out with. But yeah, just to correct me on that. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Right. You know what you've been asked over and over time. Start making a list. So Chris Robinson had talked about, they have a system, it's kind of a case management tool. They're able to track and pull reports. Not everybody has that and you don't need it. Create a list. You generally know, hey, what's a contractor? What system do we use? Do I need approval? What classification is this called? What the common questions are over and over. So you start, you start there. And I think when I think about HRBP and finance, to me, it becomes more selling. So it's less of a how-to, though that's part of it. It becomes like, here's what you can do. Did you know you could share this? Did you know I can pull this report for you? I can you know, show whether it's headcount, tenure, cost, supplier, attrition, whatever it ends up being. So it becomes a, here's how I can actually help save you time. And here's how I'm doing some of the work for you. And here's the visibility I get. But yeah, it should absolutely be external facing. All right, let's move on to the next project. All right, next one is about really the worker experience coming in. And it's on, it's really the onboarding and day of orientation goals, right? So I think when I was consulting, I was the most surprised, and even today, how few companies actually facilitate orientation for their contingent workers. Either they rely on the supplier to do it or they do nothing at all. And again, when I think about, the war on talent and how people are coming in, but truly the productivity of people understanding what it takes to succeed and, and, and do well at their role at your company, that is something that you can do. And so I encourage folks to think about what is onboarding and the requirements per classification. So I'll just use the four standard, right? So what you're doing for your temporary workers, your contractors, may be different from what you're required for your independent contractors and freelancers, may be different from your consulting and professional services group, and different again from your outsource group. So call that out. What paperwork do you need from each of those individuals versus what their vendor have actually assigned for? Typically, even though a vendor has signed off on a lot of these contracts, if they're getting access to your to your uh, network and your systems, usually an information security policy needs to be signed. Who's signing that? Who's collecting that? Who's making sure that it's housed? Who's auditing to that? So take a look at what's required per classification ask why. So if you don't have anything set up, that's where you want to start up. If you have something already set up, go back and look at it. Why are we doing this? Why are we collecting this? Because it could be outdated. 
It could be that this this was put in place five years ago because you were solving for X reason and now you're in a good spot or now it's changed or maybe you're out of that country now. So go back and review and ask yourself, what's the purpose? Why do I have this on hand? Is this daily? Is this weekly? Is it biannually? Is it annually? Is it just in case? And augment from there. And then I think again, it's on the delivery. So if you have these onboarding requirements, how are you getting them met? Is it all via email? Is it via shared uh, repository? Is it via a trust system that you're you're auditing manually? Is it something you can just pull a simple report? Is it something that you're owning? So understand what the onboarding requirements actually require, who's playing into that, how you're ensuring that they're being met. And then the last is the orientation, right? And there's two things to orientation that I think are important. And I, I highly recommend that if you can, you as the company put it on. Maybe it's in partnership if you have an MSP or a CW program team, but at least for the individual workers, right? Have something where they understand what your culture is, what is what expectation of communication is. Some people just use Slack and do not put me on a meeting. Other people say absolutely put me in a meeting, but no one uses video. Other folks say you're always using video. Feels really weird when you start a company and you get that wrong. Right, it doesn't feel as welcoming as you as you want it to be. So, letting them know what it takes to succeed, what's the culture, and then how to be productive. So, is their computer set up? Do they know where IT help desk is? Do they where they know phone numbers are? Do they know where the bathroom needs to be? You know, back when we used to go into the office. Do they understand how you guys house things? Is there is there a uh, labeling mechanism or standard that you guys have? Getting the giving them those that information at the at the onset of their assignment is going to help prove to be way more beneficial than having them trip over themselves over a couple different weeks to say, Hey, that's not meeting my expectations when you could have taken care of that up front. And then the third part to orientation is get them excited, right? I know everyone's worried about co-employment. What if they think that they're part of me or so, but the idea is you should want there to be a little bit of loyalty. They should want to do a good job for your company because they believe in the vision or the mission or your team or really just enjoy being with you, but having them excited to actually be here versus, well, well it's just another job, right? It's very easy for folks to, to say that if you if you leave them to their own. And so orientation should have a little bit of that rah-rah cheerleader that no one has time for, but it should be a, a welcome in. And with the on- onboarding, how are you uh, documenting or keeping track of the, the different onboarding requirements? I mean, some of it, like the orientation, I think I, like the building that loyalty, it doesn't necessarily need to be like a full documentation. But some of this does feel like you want to make sure that you have procedures and it's being done correctly or something like that. Yeah. And again, every company is going to have a, a different way that they do it, but it can be very simplistic. So since we're talking about companies who are kind of in their early onset, this is a Word doc or an Excel spreadsheet, right? You want to know Ideally, you've had some experience with what some of the the employment documents or the uh, required documents are. So simple things like a confidentiality agreement versus a non-disclosure, right? To me, in most, again, not an attorney, not legal advice, have to say that. But to me, just an NDA is not the right level of protection when you actually have someone who's on an engagement. But you typically hear NDAs and confidentiality sometimes are swapped out or mutual and they're not. Right. So is there a confidentiality agreement in place? Is there assignment of IP? 
Um, is there information security? Is there a gym waiver? Is there a travel and expense policy, right? So if they're traveling for you, is it okay for them to submit an expense ticket of $150 for food a day? Or is there a threshold, right? So different things that you want to make sure that they've read and signed off on you. And this is what you can do typically with procurement and legal. They're the ones who are going to say, here's what we want from individuals. They're going to ask you what the roles are. They're going to say, what are they doing for us? Do they have access to data from Baria Tech? So one of the questions that's very often is, do they have access to code? Right? Is there something that they're responsible for? PR? Are they on site? Do they have equipment? Do they have a badge? And that helps the Employment Council understand what's important and what an individual should be responsible for versus the overall vendor, whether it's a staffing vendor, a consulting vendor, or an outsource vendor. Typically, your consulting and your outsource vendors are going to, individuals will say, no, 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 I'm covered underneath this vendor. Not always the case since you kind of say this become, this is my required onboarding process for you because you have X, Y, and Z. Guess what? They are going to sign it, right? But yeah, this is something that can be very simply tracked in an Excel or any type of platform that you can just say classification, location, what's required. And is it required? Is it pre-onboarding? Is it required before they start? Is it required day of? Right. An example of on the employee side of day of or within three days is an I-9, right? You, you're not going to get that beforehand. You're going to get that in that day. Now, contingent has a different different version of this, but can that be done within a threshold? So day one to day, to day five, right? And some will have it within 30 days. So examples of that are sometimes within manufacturing. There are certain trainings that have to be accomplished on that day, but not prior. Within a week or within 30 days, they've had to take a couple of these trainings or registrations or certifications or so. And so you just define which is what's pre-onboarding, day of, after, and is it are you responsible for doing it or are you going to have the supplier do it? And what's the mechanism to track that and get it if it's, a, if it's by a certain date? Is it all manual? Do you have a system that automates that for you? But those are the things you should be starting to look through. All right. Second to last project for the end of this episode. All right. I'm going to do this quick because education, training, and support. So this is different than kind of like the workflow or the operational guidelines, right? This is what are you going to do to do a train the trainer? What are you going to give someone as quickly as possible? So I won't hit this too hard because I think Chris Robinson did a really nice job at the last fire shot, fireside chat. But it really is, how do I give them the information they need at that exact point in time they don't want to read a three-page document. They want to get one answer. And so figuring out how to solve that, right? So whether it's a wiki page, training videos, a help desk, a lot of people are more face-to-face in white glove versus self-service. And that's another thing we talk about in scale. Are you a white glove team or a self-service team? And making sure that your training and your operational support matches that. The hardest thing for a manager to know is when it's kind of blended together. They're not really sure, should I be doing this? Should you be doing this? They're always going to assume you should be doing it. 100% they're gonna be like, can you do all this for me? Because I want to take it off my plate. And so being just kind of being clear on what you're able what you're able to do, what you're willing to do, and how to actually feed them. So usually, sure, I'll do this once, but here's a 30-second video that you can do it yourself for the next time. And leverage HR support team. So whether you're in HR um, or procurement, Typically, there's some sort of support model around either the financial ERP or your HCM, like a workday. Typically, there are support teams that are are tasked on tier zero is usually the the written documentation. Tier one is where they can submit a ticket or they can ask someone. Push that. Push your knowledge into that team. 
and say, fantastic. Can you guys be my support team for this? And if they have any other questions, I'll do it. But give them a list of 20 questions. They can go through, you know, it's typically a junior level folk who have a script or whatnot, have them answer all the questions for you. So think about, think about that. And that can continue to be augmented as you're tracking commonly asked questions. Yeah, I like that concept as like a tier one support is that they can feel like the most common questions. And so that your team or yourself, if it's a small program, you can feel the more difficult and rare questions. But yeah, really the importance of being able to track those questions. But as Erica said that we did a more in-depth uh, discussion of this with uh, Chris Robinson from LinkedIn on uh, scaling your training programs for your hiring managers. You can check that out. Also came out in late October, October 2020, if you are listening to this far into the future. <laughs> but let's round out with the final project. Last project is, is really about visibility for your leadership team and making it consistent and early. I think one of the things that I wish I would have done differently at one of the programs is because I didn't like the data. I didn't like the system. I didn't trust it. I kept the data away from my leadership because I didn't want to be embarrassed by it. But what that actually did is it made them used to not having it, right? And so my strong recommendation is start early, even if the data is estimate. It can be very small. I know headcount uh, head numbers by you know whatever X, Y, and Z. If you can get the employee numbers to compare, that's even better. Supplier, job titles, and project types, spend, quality. But start small. And make it really clear why it matters to them. So not knowing who's in your, your leader structure or whatnot, but hey, just want to make sure you understand that we're at 15% non-employees to employees. And I see the major groups being IT and finance. Does that feel right to you? I know it's important because you have a headcount freeze. And I saw that this has increased by 10%. Want to make you aware. Short, sweet email can be done in person in five minutes, right? If you only have five minutes with your VP or an X, Y, and Z, it's also a very short email that gives them information. The other part is make sure they understand what the problems are and how you're solving this and by when, right? Typically in the contingent world, they don't know your problems. They don't know why it matters and they don't have a lot, not always, but they don't have a lot of how you're going to solve it, solve for it. So make it really clear why this matters. Hey, AB5, is still contentious. We have a lot of independent contractors. I know some are misclassified based on if they're core to our business or not. I'm working through with this team X, Y, and Z. We're hoping to have this audit complete, completed within three weeks. And then if we have to have any changes, that's going to be rolled out over a period of three months. We can talk about in our next one-on-one. -on -one. Really crisp and concise, but let them know that you are working on something, right? And how that's actually working. And then if you need their help, it becomes a, so here's what it is and here's what I need from you. And put that in red and bold. I think people are afraid of using bold and color in their emails. That's what it's for. No, don't care. It doesn't always have to be red. Red is alert. Use blue, use orange, use purple. Who cares? Here's what I need from you. And I'm hoping to have this by and give them a, a date. Ideally, unless it's urgent, don't be like within the next hour or end of day. Hey, I need this within three days. I'd love to talk to you about it, but blah, 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 blah. And then follow up with them. But this is going to grow and mature over time. But having them have this information, you're starting to build the energy and muscle around them wanting this information. They're used to hearing this information. They're used to understanding the non-employee with the employee or the non-employee with the spend, depending on who you're talking to. So much more, you're priming them to care. So they potentially don't care yet, but you're actually priming them over the months. This is something that they're used to hearing. And oh, you know what? I haven't heard about that for like a couple months. I knew we grew at 30%. Is that this? I'm going to go ask Erica, right? 
the one caveat I'll, I'll, I'll leave us with is do not accept, just send me a report. It will not get read. <laughs> so, hey, yeah, yeah, I can't meet with you. I can't do this one-on-one. I can't respond. If you just send me a report every week or every month, that is the easiest blow off that they will not read unless they absolutely need to it. And so I really push back on that. The answer is, okay, yes, I have to. Make sure your insights are on there and make sure there's something that you're touching back in with them, right? But if data for data's sake doesn't tell the story, they need your insights. And right now there's not a lot of great tools coming soon that's gonna give you the data as well as why this matters to you. And so your voice on that is important. So again, start early. It's okay if the data, you're like, oh, this feels wrong. At least it's directional. But you want your leadership team to understand what you're doing and give them those snippets to put into those leadership meetings of things that people should be thinking about when they think about a total workforce or how non-employees are fitting with, whether it's employees or the overall spend. I really like the idea of just starting with something, some type of data, uh, even if it's directional, because they're often starting from a point of, there's, they don't know any information about this part of the workforce and any data is better than no data. And especially if it's just directionally right, I think a lot of us get uh, bogged in the curse of knowledge that we know so much about how the sausage is made that we kind of want to hide it and don't want to get into the details. But at a certain point that you need to have some visibility and if it's directional, that's still uh, sufficient. And as you said, it, it primes people for when you do need to have more difficult conversations or really need to get into the ins and outs of specifics or recommendations and providing those insights. So helps build that awareness, builds that relationship, Erica, right? No, you're <laughs> learning. He can be taught. Any final uh, words on any of those projects? No, I think, sorry. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, I think what you're going to hear in this common, again, like the foundational projects not a surprise, relationship matters. You're priming them, and I'm going to use that word, you're priming them to care. You're priming them to know that you're a data center, right? You have, you're building a data moat. You have operations, right? So one of the ways I used to describe myself is I'm responsible for all the non-employee operations, systems, policies, analytics, and relationships. That sounds like leadership. That sounds like there's a lot under your purview and what you're growing and what your roadmap is. But when you're able to actually start talking to the people in that language, with that knowledge, with that data, right? It's a very different conversation than, hey, I want to open a contractor. The Kim's, should I open a contractor? How could I do this? What's the time to fill versus an employee versus a contractor? So, And so the idea around that is to build yourself into a strategic knowledge house that people can come to and want to bring you to other folks and get your advice on it. And this is how you start to build that muscle for yourself and be thoughtful in how you're engaging and sharing with others. That's right. Becoming that strategic knowledge house. But just to recap the eight projects that we covered today, identifying and broadcasting yourself as the main person of contact, relationship building, defining contingent workforce classifications, reviewing existing policies in place, creating operational guidelines, onboarding and day of orientation goals, education, training, and support for hiring managers, whoever's using the program, and lastly, visibility for your leadership team. Consistent and early so you can prime them and have them ready as you're building out future parts of your program. I think that's a wrap. 
for Contingent Workforce Radio this time. We'll be back next week with more projects, um, about another 10,403, and then you'll be good to go. You're welcome. (laughs) All right, everyone. Take care. Bye.